and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard, and alongside me virtually once again is Mr. Eddie Jordan. Ah, yes, that's me. <laughs> for, for Ralph beside me, I think he's just dropped off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should do the proper introduction for Ralph. We have on this week's show, after an emotional show last week where we paid tribute to Gilles de Ferran with Paul Stewart, it's a big thank you for a six-time Grand Prix winner, a man that has endured and survived team ownership of uh, Eddie Jordan. It's Ralph Schumacher. Ralph, thank you very much for joining us here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. See, Eddie always jumps the gun. He was introducing you before I I always come too quickly. That's the truth. (laughs) Not when it comes to paying your bills. Actually, Ralph, let's start there. Did Eddie Jordan pay everything he was supposed to, or is there a bill outstanding? I mean, he was, uh, well, we had an argument at the end, but okay, we, it happened to be really? settled after a small court case <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember oh, that. you don't remember sure. that? <laughs> ah, okay. He doesn't, Tell them, we need amazing. to know, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> no, no, but apart from that, and recently he also pays bills. I mean, he invites me a lot, I have to say, yeah. it's amazing. Oh, we're yeah. good friends ever since. <laughs> yes, we are. But we do live in Cape Town and it helps. Anyway, go on, Ralph, I'm more interested to find out what was this court case about? This was as a result, Michael, your brother didn't want to pay me for taking your contract away. I asked him to, uh, to pay up the, the, the penalty clause and... Uh, he, you paid instead of him paying. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, sure, it's true, but it doesn't matter. I think we don't want to go back into that one, I think. Uh, maybe okay. you... you... Well, well, what, will I be embarrassed? I, th- I mean, yes, you will. Really? <laughs> I don't often get embarrassed about money. So allow me then to step in. I'll save you both the embarrassment. Ralph, um, you, you, like myself, um, raced through the, the sort of V8 era of Formula 1. A lot of changes, a lot of you know tyre competition, team competition. We, we need to try and understand that era versus where we are today. Now, you, you also work in broadcasting, like uh, Eddie and I. I see you at, at some of the Grand Prix. Do you derive uh, the, the same sort of pleasure analysing and breaking down what's happening out on track for, for the fans at home as you did as a driver? Or is it just something that you've naturally morphed into, a bit like myself? Well, first of all, I think it's a different it's a different life, uh, and now I really enjoy what I do. Being all of a sudden uh, from the other side, and it's much more easy, by the way, because to criticize people and not being <laughs> on the racetrack myself is it's a mega difference, and it's it's really interesting to watch. The only thing I, I, I miss to our days, I think we were more of a sprint racer, and we had to push hundred percent. And now, you know, in qualifying, yes, they do, but sometimes they're seven, six to seven seconds off the pace, which uh, you know, for me, is sometimes. Too much. Good point. David? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you, unsurprisingly, in that for me, Grand Prix racing should be about going as fast as you possibly can from the start to the finish. And it shouldn't be about fuel management, tyre management. When I say that, of course, there's always an element of tyre management. You don't just spin the wheels every time you leave a hairpin because it's fun to leave black marks on the track. But I think um, Formula One did morph a little bit too much towards let's say, endurance-type sports car racing for a period there. I do get the sensation, if we look at some of the Grand Prix last year, you see the drivers getting out afterwards and they look like they've been in a Grand Prix. You know, I think it was Qatar was one of the best examples of that. Some some people were going, oh, it's it's not fair, these poor poor little darlings. You know, they look like they've really been working hard. I'm thinking, brilliant. They're the heroes that I want to see get out of a Grand Prix car. 
No, it was great, but I have to say it was a bit humid and hot there. Uh, it was on the limits and I hope they're going to change that. But you're right. I think for them it was the first time where they really had to push for like 27, 29 laps, what was it? And you could, I think it was difficult for some of them. What was the hardest Grand Prix that you ever uh, took part in? Is it is it the Belgian Grand Prix 98 when you were quicker than your teammate and yet Eddie told you to hold position? I assume he paid you the win bonus even though you finished second in the Grand Prix uh, to Damon. Have you noticed that he's conveniently <laughs> forgotten to say that he took out the main opposition to you, which is your brother? Uh, was it that race also, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah was. Uh, thank you, David. I knew you'd bring it out up. <laughs> no, no, it, it for sure is still in my memory and it would have been a great moment. But I have to say, I keep saying that uh, going back to that moment, I fully understand the decision of the team. And it was an amazing race for Jordan. Uh, I think, uh, was it the last time finished first and two, wasn't it? First yeah, two. but I think it's the only time, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, but there was another occasion, which we'll talk about in a second, which, uh, go ahead and answer DC. I want to ask you about Argentina the year before with, with Fisichella, because that's when you should have won that race. But anyway, please go ahead. I have to say, you know, I mean, because you say about management, but we had to manage also our car with heavy fuel loads, with brake wear, with, uh, with the groove tires, remember those times. So I think, and for us, uh, maybe the, the hot Grand Prix like Malaysia were, were pretty hard. And, you know, if you had a shitty car, that was really hard sometimes because you had to, to be on it, alerted all the time. And there was a lot of pressure on the driver. I think uh, that's what you had to do sometimes. DC, go on. You're still waiting, raring to come into 98. Tell us about how you <laughs> took his brother out of the yeah. Grand Prix. Well, look, it, you know, it was all part of a master plan, wasn't it, to make sure that yeah. Nico won the World you Championship. You were on my payroll, weren't you? Whenever I, um, just uh, reflecting on Ralph having to hold station and finish second, in fairness to McLaren, whenever that was the case for me, they still paid as if I'd won the race, if they knew that, you know, circumstances had been um, taken. But I, yeah, I can see Ralph shaking his head. Well, uh, we didn't pay anyone, so why would I make exactly. any difference for him? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't, he wouldn't. But uh, okay, I mean, you know how hard it was that time. And for me, yes, I was really pissed off, you can imagine, um, yeah. as a young driver. And, you know, obviously Damon, he was uh, so experienced. And the, first, the last thing he wanted to be, you know, um, yeah, second behind me, the, the younger brother, or the little brother of Michael, which was always a special friend of him that, that those days, I have to say, in the beginning. So yes, it, it was pretty hard for all of us, I think. And very disappointing for me, because now we come back to the second topic, because we had a chance. Uh, we had an amazing car in 97, just two young and silly drivers sometimes, and sometimes also a team owner that didn't do his job. Who was that man? Tell me more. <laughs> Who was he driving for? Actually, let me please jump in here because I think it's important. 97 was the, the change. I think 97 was a really cool car. 99 was a great car too. Better than the uh, 98 was car. Good, but yeah. Anyway, 97, uh, they were running second and third. Uh, Villeneuve in front was in trouble. He had a problem and you were going to win the race. What happened then? But first of all, we had a car that was so fast uh, that we didn't expect it. So uh, when we realized in Harris, I remember we never took out of the, the fuel out of the car. So the first time, I think it was in Melbourne where we started to do that. And then two young drivers, the first few qualifyings were difficult. Then we went to Argentina. We were really, really fast. Giancarlo had for what 
whatever reason a problem i just approached him and he was blocking me i mean finally we crashed into each other i spun he spun i think also whatever. you didn't finish you finished third yeah i finished third and you know i had to come in and if you consider all the time loss we had i would have won the race and uh, you know how it is these days it wouldn't happen because uh, you know you have all those time timing monitors and uh, teams are much more alerted about strategies they would say okay give him space but at that time obviously that didn't happen you could tell for the spectators it's great um, uh, because you know you have real racing between teammates but for us we lost uh, the victory for sure and indirectly and I'm not trying to make excuses here but you can now understand why I was so determined because Spa 98 was going to be our first win. Yeah. And having seen it just taken away from you and from us in Argentina, I was determined that I didn't care what happened. The team comes first. I don't care which driver is where. It has to be one, two, and no one can pay. So you can understand that. Yeah, I can. And there was another great story going back to Argentina because we started with carbon wishbones. You remember that one? I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Henderson. Car was very just, quick, that car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we fixed them. And Gary came to me at the time and said, okay, Ralph, go out, be a little bit careful the, the first few corners. And if, if nothing happens, then you can accelerate and we see. I tell you, it's a true story. <laughs> that gives and, you confidence. Yeah. And what happened, I was really cruising around that the last three, uh, two or three corners I started to accelerate. Before the pinned entrance, you know, it just collapsed. And I, I made it back because it was just a lower or the top. I, I can't remember. I made it back to the pits and he said, okay, uh, maybe I made a mistake in calculating. So let's go back to the steel version then. I remember. You and don't. Was, and it was still quick. <laughs> yeah, it was still quick, but we were kind of crash test dummies those days sometimes. Um Question that I've often asked you because, no, we, we won't change. We go back to where DC with your brother. Yeah. He was very clever. If you notice, his brother came gunning for him. He wanted to beat him up. And he was clever, being a very brave Scotsman. Anything other than brave heart. He kept his helmet on. Do you remember when your brother was about to punch <laughs> his head in? Do you remember that? I remember I saw this, the scenery. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult, uh, you know, because obviously there's one part missing that could still talk or answer to that one at the moment. So I think it was something very special. It could have been dangerous. Luckily, it was wet. I think in a dry situation, you know, it, it could have been more dangerous. But it was a coincidence. Uh, I mean, this you can tell when you're a driver. Obviously, in this moment, full of emotion, uh, then you see it differently, uh, which is clear. I think that happened to all of us that have ever been in a car. They know it. Uh, but going back to it, I guess, when you look at the footage. But it's good, you know. And the other, I have to say, it, the, those times, also the team owners, the bosses, remember, I mean, Flavio with his cap to the back, smoking at the pit, him jumping up and down the pit lane. Uh, He's making not, reference to me again here. He <laughs> no, thinks no, no, I'm no, the, but, the leprechaun. <laughs> but I thought Formula One was much more alive that time. And I think emotions were allowed. And that was, uh, yeah, it's part of history of Formula One, isn't it? Michael then got upset when he was upset with DC and DC hid and locked his way in the toilet in the motorhome, um, which was understandable with his helmet still on. I don't know how he managed to sit in the toilet all that length with the helmet on. But anyway, um, Michael came after me then all of a sudden. And, and really, in all the years when Michael was either trying to help you or being a little bit, he never really became involved. And suddenly, uh, when you had the chance to win that race, he, he became angry with me. Why was that? 
Well, I would guess, you know, he's, first of all, he's my big brother and he believed that the the race belonged to me. And and, uh, I mean, you remember all the radio conversation. Obviously, Damon cannot remember all of it, but doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think, you know, we... we, (laughs) prerogative. And and we talked about it after the race. And, you know, he was my kind of mentor and manager at that time, you have to say. I mean, without Michael and Willi, I wouldn't be there where I was. Uh, that's true, but you really, if we want to be, in my opinion, as the team boss at the time, we rarely saw, we saw Willie now and again, but we rarely saw Michael. So I was never sure how close you were with Michael. Uh, but when he came to me in Spa and he says, Ralph will never drive for you again. And I remember saying to him, and I kind of took out my palm and I said, look, there's a contract, there's a buyout clause in the contract, pay the money, off he goes, no problems, NDOs, bye-bye. And, and he just was quiet and he went. Uh, and eventually, I believe it was a mistake because the, the 99 car was a, a world championship winner. You could have won the world championship in that car. Yeah, but that was not the way it happened, Eddie. No, but you went to Williams for the money. Yeah, but you, you know me. why. But you, you, forgot, you forgot why? Because Frenchy You really came. forgot why. Why? Tell me. You don't remember when no. you called me. I was lying on my oh, boat yeah. one day. Well, you were lying on your where? I was on a boat, on a small boat between yeah. two races. Yeah. And EJ called me and said, okay, I know we have a shitty car, but we need desperately uh, the points. It was before Silverstone. And he called me and said, if you don't score a point, oh, you're no. out of the car. That's what no, he said. I told you, you're fucking history. No, you're- no, you're out of the car. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> After that, I hang up the phone. As I called Willie and said, okay, whatever happens, uh, you know, we need to look for some, something else because I'm not going to work with this guy anymore after this season. <laughs> that was the way it Brilliant. happened. And I can tell you, you know, you these days... Six. You did finish sixth. Uh, I'm not ready yet here. Okay. Uh-huh. These I'm days, the <laughs> These days, you need to finish seventh to be the points, as you remember. And in the qualifying, our beautiful engine blew up. So I was starting last. And you know what he did? He came to the grid, to the end of the grid to me and said, don't forget what I told you the other week. You are out if you don't score a point. That's how I went into this race. And that is the truth. But was that good motivation? Yeah, that was an amazing motivation. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I scored that point. And then his, you know, his right hand, I don't want to mention the name, but you know who I... Ian. Oh, yeah, Ian Phillips. Yeah. Everybody loves Ian Phillips. Yeah. They even love him 10 <laughs> times more than they love me. And then all of a sudden, he came back and said, nee, 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 really. no, 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 we have a contract with Ralph. If he wants to get out of that contract, he has to buy himself out. That's when it started. Ah. And he knew that I had a contract with Williams already. And time. I knew more importantly, he had the money. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was Bernie's go. mistake. That was Bernie's mistake. DC, also. it's your call. Go. <laughs> Well, look, I, I just think it's fascinating that you, you you survived the Eddie Jordan years because I managed to avoid ever driving anything for Eddie. But it's great to see that you are uh, both friends and, and able to spend time together and, and really appreciate you coming on the, the show to reminisce. So I want to focus a little bit more on the victories you had and, um, you know, what of those victories stood out as being your, your, your personal high, because sometimes when, you know, what you would consider your, your best win wouldn't be sort of what the public might imagine, you know, in terms of what the race was. So 
Put us in the cockpit with Ralph Schumacher. What was your, your most epic victory in Formula One? This is really difficult because I don't remember all of them. If I remember one, it will be the first one. But if you would ask me, where did you win all the races? I wouldn't even remember, to be honest. So for me... Really? Why, why yes. is that? Just you, you don't look back or is it Yeah, just, I never, I'm not the kind of uh, person to look back. And I think, you know, the, when you win a race, you want more. And then, you know, the pressure rises on yourself also and you think about the next one already and not about what he achieved. I mean, the first one was great. And I remember, I think we were in the first row. We were, wasn't it? The, in, in Were we together? I think it was in Imola. I, I don't remember. And it was the start-finish victory. And um, so th this was, I mean, I was highly nervous. We had a big engine problem before. They had to really take the whole engine, the V10 engine apart in the pit lane, in the box. And, you know, and Joe Bauer was watching them because one of the mechanics uh, started the engine without pressure. And, you know, the valves uh, touched the piston, so they had to change the valve in before the race on Sunday morning. And they managed and That's we incredible. won the race. Yeah, it was an incredible. This, I have to say, was something special. But sometimes, you know, more special than victories, if you have a real bad car and, and you make something amazing out of it due to strategy, and even if you finish uh, in the points, you know, it was very important these days when I remember back with the 99 Williams, which was a disaster, uh, the car itself, difficult to drive and so on, and we still scored uh, in points. So that, that can also also be an amazing memory. Yeah, actually, just when you say they're difficult to drive, this is something that you know we can resonate with. When anyone who's driven a race car, you you know what it is that would would make it feel uncomfortable for you. But are you able to explain to our listeners? For you, what a difficult car is. Is that one that won't turn, you know, it's got too much undersea? Is that one that's nervous of the rear and you feel you're going to crash on the entry to every corner? What what does that mean for you? Well, difficult means, okay, that's, uh, that is the setup side. Yes, can be if you have undersea, oversea, we don't, don't expect. But if you have a car that's not well balanced at all, that's low on downforce and you have, uh, you know, these gusty winds or whatever, so you have to be alerted uh, the whole time, the whole race and, you have to push it a bit further than you would normally do in a comfort zone with a fast car. Um, and this is really demanding on the driver because you have to stay, not that you wouldn't need to be 100% focused, but obviously if you have a strong car and you can control the race, it's much more easy and less breathtaking than uh, having a difficult car to drive. Did Eddie ever share with you his uh, driving stories when, when you were driving for him because you know Eddie you was see, a, this a is racing driver this of some is, note he's our guest I shouldn't be brought into this like <laughs> this I'm the one asking questions so are you and Ralph is going to answer them so I want to ask Ralph so something that's a credit to you but Michael and you mm -hmm. are the only brothers ever to win Grand Prix together and I'm sure you're aware of that so uh, that's some accolade in itself is that something you think about or you can't remember you're just not bothered well, I think at the time when you race, you race and you're, you know, you're just happy about what you achieve. And sometimes in my case, I wasn't very happy often enough. But uh, looking back, yes, it was an amazing journey. The two of us, of us had, uh, if you if you remember where we started and how, it's, how it all started. So, yes, it is amazing. But, you know, one day there will be somebody better and it doesn't matter. It's a part of history now. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm not the kind of person to look back too much. That's but, why many times when, you know, when I do the expert thing, they tell me about my results at that, that race and I don't even remember. Did you ever dream about being a teammate with Michael? Or was it not something that you... 
Um, it would have been amazing, but on the other hand, the problem was always, I mean, first of all, there was never really opportunity. And second, one of us would have always lost. And I don't know whether that would have been good from a marketing point of view or from a relation point of view between brothers. But uh, yeah, going back, it would have been amazing to, to share a, a season together. Although I have to say... <clears throat> It was always very open. I knew what he was doing. He knew, he knew what I was doing. And it, it was always good to, to be able to talk some, to somebody that you could trust on. Because I didn't like my teammates, never, uh, except Jensen, I have to say. He, he was a relatively easy guy. But, but on the other hand, I was difficult for my teammates too, because I didn't want any conversation other than uh, setup work we had to do with the engineers. So, you know, because that was separate for me. And teammate uh, was always the first one uh, to be beaten. But saying that, I think you always also, you know, you wanted the best out of the drivers. And Frank Williams' style, uh, although he isn't around, uh, he also wanted the, the, the drivers to be in a fight to each other because he thought then they achieved more for his team. I don't know. You worked for him also. I don't know what your feeling was on that. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I was actually going to ask you about relationship with teammates. And, you know, I appreciate how sort of, blunt you are in terms of explaining you'd no interest in, yeah. in sharing anything with them other than the setup of the team. I think I was a bit more naive when I first came to Formula One. You, you know, you, you're, a, you're from a town or a city. Um, you know, I'm from a village. So it took me a while to actually adapt to understanding what being in a team was. So yeah, I, I had fallouts with all my teammates at some point um, over the course of, and, and, and uh, it, it's just when you're focused on trying to achieve for yourself, it's a, it's a very selfish world, isn't it? Being a driver, you, you just think me, 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 you want the, the latest engine, you want the new tires, you know, your teammate is, is almost an inconvenience to the, the team's focus of delivering for you. So it is a tricky one. Um, but yeah, Frank Frank was an, an interesting character in that he, he loved you having a go, didn't he? He never seemed to be angry if you crashed the car, if he believed you were really on pursuit of something amazing. If you crashed just because you're an idiot, then of course he'd be pissed off or Patrick Head. I'm sure you had his booming voice on a number of occasions going, Ralph, what are you doing? Yeah, but I had good lessons in that. You know, we had Gary Anderson and Eddie. So I, I came not a lot problem of them. for me. And I have to say, with, uh, working with Patrick for me was uh, most of the time more easy because you could have a, have a hard fight or discussion with him and in the evening you sit together, have a glass of bread and enjoy dinner. He was different, different character, uh, but it was good working with him. And, and Frank, as you said, I mean, he would call you every evening to know what the car felt like in testing. And if you'd done less than 110 laps, he would be... But yeah, he would be asking why, you know, what was the problem? Why didn't you do enough laps? Would you have liked Coulthard to be your teammate? Could you have easy blown him off? <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what a question. Uh, well, I mean, I know. You. <laughs> oh, Stop giggling, will you please? Should I say that oh, again? <laughs> In proper language. Well, um, we were teammates for one test. You were teammates? Yeah, for one test at least. Oh, one test. McLaren, my first ever test. I was oh. driving against him Were you him one quicker day. than him? Yeah, sure. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no one Why was he much quicker than you, David? Huh? <laughs> in testing, I was a world champion. It was in racing, unfortunately. I wasn't so good. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph, you mentioned there something that, uh, you, you know, with Patrick, you could sit down and have a glass of wine. You mentioned wine. You are 
a, a vineyard owner. Tell us a little bit about that because um, Eddie, you must have given Eddie a bottle of your wine and in typical EJ style, when he came to my place in France, he, he brings whatever he's been given as if he's bought it. So we drank your, your wine and it was fantastic. <laughs> no, 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 no. EJ is a good customer, don't? Can it's you, not true. Can you tell him yeah, yeah, that yeah, this yeah. is not true? I am your leading ambassador. Yeah, I yeah, know he is and he's, he's paying for you. No, 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 no. So, oh, okay. All right, great. Tell us, why wine? Because uh, when I stopped Formula One, you know, my love is also restaurants, foods, and, and uh, as you know, maybe I have a small guest house also and things like that. And uh, I was looking for my own wine for the restaurant to sell, you know, my own brand basically, and just buying it from a nice winery. And by accident, I came along that winery and that's how it happened. It took two or three years and that's uh, how it ended up. And I have to say, it's amazing. It's really nice. You know, it's a part of nature and every year is different. You have more difficulties or other problems to sort out, but it's a lovely business and lovely people to work with because, you know, we are always uh, running around the world as fast as we can and being fast, but they, they know what patience is and that's completely the opposite. His wine is sensational. And um, I think you've had some of it, but you don't remember. Because on the boat, when we were doing our hospitality in Monaco and other places, the wine of choice and the wine of house and the wine of the boat has always been the Schumacher White. But I've tasted a new number one, the red. It is spectacular. We had quite a lot of it on, on Sunday when we had a rock and roll lunch, which was particularly good. Uh, and it took a few bottles and a few glasses for Ralph to sing uh, Wonderful World, which we all <laughs> were totally by surprise. Oh, yeah. So that was good. Then, do you remember that, Ralph? Yeah, but, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, but it was a terrible one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was uh, fun. <laughs> DC, just one small thing. Sometimes we have to say thank you to people, but the people here at Boca um, in, in the center of uh, Cape Town, uh, they've given us an unbelievable f facility to do this. Uh, and of course, I was late getting here, so they looked after Ralph uh, at the time and made sure that his hospitality was correct. So thank you to everybody. This podcast is really taking off. So many people in Africa, in Ireland, when I was home there at Christmas, um, and they're all sort of saying, you know, not all, but I'm actually surprised with the take up that it's becoming really popular. Yeah, I don't know if you've shared with Ralph that this is the uh, you know the largest growing uh, audience of any podcast. So he, um, he comes out know, with crap yeah, like sure this all the time. This, I'm sure after people get word of Ralph being on the show, it's just going to give us another little boost. So thank you for that, Ralph. I'll, I'll go online and buy some of your wine at the full rate just to show my appreciation. No, 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 no. it's all fine. Don't give him a discount. <laughs> Don't give him a discount. Typically, he, he ran your brother off the road. Remember that. <laughs> I don't remember ever having a, a coming together on track with you, the Ralph. We never, we never bashed into each other or had any bad, bad blood on the track. Mm, no, not that I remember. Maybe, maybe you know, with the blue flag thing, that even that I don't remember. But no, no, we never raced. Nope, no, no, no bad thing. Can I remember uh, a, a good friend to the the podcast, John Alesi, once got out of the car in San Marino, where you where you won your first Grand Prix, and told me. You're the most incorrect driver I've ever raced against because I think I didn't give him enough space somewhere and it pissed him off. But uh, uh, he's the only person. Good judge of character, that's Sean Alessi. <laughs> good judge of character. He's a lovely man. But but I have to say, uh, good good judge of character. I have to say, I mean, you have some amazing overtakings now with the new rules. But some of the young kids, I think, they're taking the risk far too much. Uh, too. F uh, too much risk, and uh, I think they use that uh, the cars are very safe these days. 
when I look at some of the moves they do, especially in the younger class, like Formula 2, Formula yeah. 3, sometimes I'm a bit surprised. As a Grand Prix winner, Ralph, before uh, we start this new year and enjoy it and before the season starts, uh, you're working for, uh, for Sky Germany, of course. And um, can you see anybody uh, competing against Max? Well, as we know, it, it all depends uh, on the car. I think, uh, you know, Mercedes, if if they find a back, I mean, they still have to prove uh, because for me, uh, you know how difficult it is. And, and they looked, I mean, very up and down on the performance. So let's let's cross fingers that they do. McLaren could be possible. Um, I have to say I'm a big fan of Oscar. The only thing is he seems still to be a bit weak in the racing speed. I think it's, an, it's amazing you know, his qualifying performance. He never makes a mistake and he's always there. So that's great. And yeah, Lando is an amazing racer, but maybe sometimes he wants a bit too much in qualifying and he could be the one, I think, to, to challenge uh, uh, Max if, if the car... And you've left Ferrari out? For me, yes, could be possible, but both drivers, you never know what they do. I mean, they're leading a race, they spin off or they're crashing, not really into each other, but making still mistakes, which of, very often surprises me. I think uh, Fred is doing a good job at Ferrari. You can see now the group is growing together a bit better, less mistakes, very good pit stops. So yes, but in the moment, I would not see them as the biggest contender, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, we, as it is, you will see at the first test on the first two races. And uh, then I think it's easier to, to judge. What do you think? You had Adrian at your party on Sunday. Uh, did he give you any inside information as to how Red Bull is going to perform next year? As, as you said, it was a private party. So <laughs> ah, okay. So <laughs> that's why talk I put, about motorsport. Is that why I put your, <laughs> you, you singing up on the website or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, as no, no big surprise, uh, you know, Ralph, you, you honour the privacy. For EJ, if, if, you know, there is no such thing. <laughs> he broadcasts it everywhere. So don't tell him a secret if you don't want the world to know. Um, you're wrapping up, David. Are no, you? You're no, wrapping no, up. I, actually, no, no. I don't want to wrap up. I want. I want to ask Ralph a couple of other other things, actually, because um, I'm 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 fascinated by uh, his experience as a driver, and I always um, wondered when he had that big uh, accident in Indianapolis when the tire blew out and and you had a little bang on the head. I, I was touchwood very lucky never to have experienced that in in a car. So I just wondered if you could explain to me what what that sort of experience was, was like and did, did you feel different after that in terms of, you know, I believe you had some concussion or you, you were knocked out during that, that high-speed accident? Well, I had two, um, you know, two broken spines basically and uh, I had, I was, well, unconscious a bit but then, I don't know, I remember five or six hours later, you know, I came, I, for me, for myself, um, arrived in the hospital. So I, you know, repeated uh, three or four questions for four or five hours. So it took me, took me some, it was three months break, I think. Uh, I recovered. And then we had that test in um, Silverstone. In a lap three or lap four, uh, you know, I did the fastest ever lap in Silverstone. And I really enjoyed it. And it was so great uh, to be back in that car again. Because, you know, I mean, okay, these days they do 24 races. But we did racing. We had to go back, even oversee races, and then do three, four-day tests in Harris. Every day, 120 laps, and then rush back to the next Grand Prix and so on. So we, we did a lot, a lot of driving. And sometimes, I think over the years, uh, you lose a bit of joy of that. And after having that break uh, for 
for three months, uh, that was the biggest uh, gain for me. You know, I, I went in there and said, oh, okay, that's, that's uh, so great. And uh, it, it reminded me a bit uh, why I ever started and wanted to be in Formula One. Yeah, that's great to, great to know. Actually, I never had a, a big break. Uh, because of any any injury or anything like that. So I can completely relate to the constant grind of testing and racing. Thinking about it today, I was crazy. But these days, no, I didn't think. I mean, even if I watch now the guys doing Monaco, I mean, it's nicer to see it from outside and have a glass of wine in my hand. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> I don't know how it is for you, but I would want to do it again. No, no, no. I, I For fun, yes. Yeah, but I enjoyed my time, but I'm not living for... For that period, you know, I'm accepting where I am today. Um, Ralph, one other thing I just wanted to... to David. Eddie, of course. Sorry, David, he mentioned Monaco just there as a track. Um, I've got to ask you because you're not alone just attending the races to do the the commentary, but as a driver, what was your favourite track? Well... As most of us, I think Suzuka was my favorite track. I always loved it. Um, the SS is uh, such a great combination if car and driver likes them. Uh, it's a very high-speed circuit, and I just liked it. Plus, uh, the Japanese fans, uh, because I spent it a year over there, more than a year, exactly in Formula Nippon, I, I really appreciate you know their love for motorsports. I so. think I sent you there, did I? Mm, kind of. But what happened? Did I take some money from you? No, 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 no. But uh, <laughs> from the 3000 that time, I think there was only six or eight cars left in, in Europe. And that's why we went uh, to Japan. Plus the cars were stronger with the... But you won the championship. And it was as a result of that, DC, he won the championship in Nippon. And I had been there with all these drivers. I'd seen what he was doing. And... Um, I said to Willie, Willie, you better stop this because uh, I want him in the car pretty much straight away. And that's how he came to drive for Jordan. So uh, what he did in Japan had a huge influence on my, on my thinking uh, and, and my choice for the following year's Formula One season, more or less, wasn't it? Yeah, and Japan is back. I mean, look at Liam Lawson. I mean, he also did an incredible uh, season, you know, for just being put into the car this year. So obviously it's a, it's a good uh, racing over there and uh, strong cars also. I think actually just we mentioned, Liam, yeah, you're absolutely right. Japan has always, whatever their Formula 2 or Formula 3000 equivalent was, it was always faster than what was in Europe in terms of tires and, and things like that. So it was, you know, we saw it with Eddie Irvine when he first came and did uh, a race in Suzuka. He, he did an incredible job in his first race because he physically it was harder than, than maybe the lower formulas in Europe. Oh, yes, it was. And uh, I think I remember if, because with the qualifying tires, the week before the last, when I wasn't doing Formula 1, but Michael won his championship there, uh, qualifying time, I think I was three and a half seconds off. That's unbelievable. So, in, in a much lower, yeah. lower Formula car. Yeah. Sorry? In a much lower yeah, performance yeah, yeah, yeah. car. Yeah, 550 horsepower. But, you know, we, we had the, the, the ground effect. Uh, and we you had, had the quality tires. You yes, had the bridge qualifying tires. Yeah. Yeah. So physically, would that be one of the toughest cars? Because you wouldn't have had power steering on, on the um, Formula Oh, Formula. yes. Yeah, it was. It was really. And sometimes you, you really had to make sure you stuck your steering wheel in the S's with your, you know, with your hands somehow because it was really tough driving. But then also the same in 99 with the Williams because it was one of the only cars in the grids without power steering, I would say. It was also very tough to drive. Yeah, power steering was like somebody turning the lights on to drive a Grand Prix car. It was so difficult before then. Yeah. And then with power steering, you could, you know, that's where the guys are today. A couple of things I want to to cover, Ralph, in any order you you want, because you you're uh, you're a racing dad as well. You, your son David is is competing. I've got a son coming up through karting and racing, and 
I know that this is the most uncomfortable feeling for me ever is watching watching my son out on a racetrack. But of course, we have to go with it because our parents gave us the the opportunity. And beyond just talking about your son, you also have a share in a team as well. So you you've been a, a team owner. So I, I've never been in that situation. So. First of all, we'll talk about David, and then if you can give us a little insight to what it is uh, being a team owner in, in the lower formulas. Well, I mean, with karting, you know, it was very, let's say, difficult, and especially because karting, you, know, you have 30 kids racing, and anything can happen until the last corner. As a father, you stay out there, and you can't do, you know, except uh, you know, giving him the best possible uh, chassis or whatever, uh, and it was very exciting. This changed uh, Formula Four the first half a season. I have to say, yes, you're still nervous because it's the, the change over the formula, but then it gets less and less, and you know it, it's um, more easy being a father. Being a father and having a relation to your son, this is the best that can ever happen to you because we spend so much time together about you know motorsport and both we, we love motorsport so this is really amazing and whatever happens at the end uh, that uh, that paid for all of it. Isn't it Ralph an amazing world? I I love the fact that I was able to go from the small village in Scotland to race on the global stage and to meet you know so many different drivers and engineers and Fruit Loops, like Eddie Jordan. You know, it's a it's a colourful life, isn't it, motorsport? What? Don't bring me into this. <laughs> it is, it is, a, it is a very colourful life, and uh, you know, I mean, what we learned and being able to see in our in our career was amazing. Is still amazing, and to be part of it is also amazing. But sometimes it's also quite important to go back to that little village and look around and take something back to this crazy world, because uh, you know, there's not only Formula One, and you see some. To, and it also happened to me. I have to say, you know, uh, I think when it becomes too much, too much success and too much of everything, people start flying a bit. And um, this is something where a small village like yours uh, can help yeah, out. absolutely. Well, wise words. Um, DC? Yes, Eddie. <laughs> uh, could you please ask Ralph? Well, he's sitting right beside you. Why don't you ask him? Can you? Uh, I don't want to ask him because I might get a punch. Was I the worst team boss he ever had? <laughs> we know the answer to that, of course. <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. No, no, no. I really, I mean, first of all, he gave me the opportunity and, uh, you know, it could have been worse. I could have ended up with uh, Ron Dennis. So no, 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 <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm completely happy that that didn't happen. I have to say, I, I think I couldn't work with a man like that. So no, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, it's, you know, Eddie, I mean, for him, it was his business, was his baby, and I'm sure it was not always easy. And I remember at that time, we made proper motor racing 16 to 18 times a year. Amazing cars, sound, look. You know, we had a nice truck. We had nice caterings, not as big as today, uh, but always fancy. And for, I think, 10% of the money, if that's... No, no, now recently not, but before the, the budget. Yeah, but the, we don't need to go through that. But, no, you know, no. I always tried... And this is something that may sound a bit bizarre, but I tried to be really fair. Uh, everybody knew when they came to Jordan, they were never going to get the full amount of money, but they'd always be paid. Um, but what they did get, whether it was friends with engineers or designers or drivers, that they got a great foundation, a great stepping stone. And for me, that's what I felt such a joy. The fact that we're sitting here talking to each other, having had two or three years, some of it quite difficult, some of it very joyous and very happy times. Um, and I, I must say that 
that as the years rolled by and my memory of things sort of get somewhat a little bit blurred. Um, I just, uh, I, I feel that the importance of the relationship that you have, my mother always told me, remember, you've got to be always able to go back the door that you've just come out of. And that is something that you must never burn your bridges as you go in. And that's something that I've always tried to do. So the fact that you're here, I'm really pleased you're here, to be honest. And um, it's given me a lot of pleasure. Silence from Ralph in response to how much pleasure he's got. No, no, no. Wait, I said it before. You. No, no, no. But for no, uh, but for, for me, it was the same. I mean, you know, it's, it was his part. That was my part. Sure, I was disappointed as a young uh, driver that I wasn't allowed to win. That it happened as it happened. Uh, but uh, because you know, it was great at Jordan. Ninety-eight was a difficult year. We had a shitty car, but ninety-nine as his. So it was much better. So it would have been even better. 97 for me. was a great car. Yeah, 97 was a great car. So no, no, no regrets. It all, it's all fine. You know, it's, it's part of history, part of growing up. And we're off to drink some nice Schumacher uh, <laughs> red wine and yeah. um, white wine. And uh, we'll keep some for you, DC. Oh, well, I look forward to You'll it. You'll have to come out. I'm, I'm definitely. He's coming to Cape Town shortly, you know. Oh, when is that? He's coming out to do a Red Bull. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll have the Formula One car on the streets. I can't remember the exact date, but um, I'll, I'll let you know, Ralph, just in case you happen to be there. Perfect. We can go and drink some wine and uh, reminisce of, exactly. uh, of how quick we think we used to be and uh, <laughs> yeah. talk about Eddie behind his back. <laughs> so, Ralph, it's been a pleasure to have you on on the podcast. Uh, you, you had a relatively short Grand Prix career at 11 seasons. I, never, I, I remember... You know, thinking when when you stopped that you you hadn't gone as long as maybe you could have, but w was it just you, you were tired or you didn't see the opportunity? Because that is quite a short career in in modern terms. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay, but it was not so modern at that time. But uh, I have to say, you know, with Toyota didn't didn't really work out, and after that, to to have any proper teams around, I could have go back to uh, the old Jordan team which was called Force India at that time uh, it just started off and I did a, I did a test day in Harris and I was supposed to do two days and the car was and then you know the the technical director at that time Mike was there and, and I was asking myself already during the day do you want that do you really want uh, to leave your son alone for this and that's why I stopped it yeah well, a man of conviction, and it's been absolutely great to have you on the show. So, Ralph Schumacher, six times Grand Prix winner, thank you very much for joining us. Sorry that you had to be locked in a room with Eddie Jordan. Uh, well, to our listeners, that's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. And remember to follow Formula for Success on Spotify and whenever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on social media with the handle at F1 for success. That's all from me, EJ. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was great being <laughs> I, there. I should have warned you, should I? <laughs> yes. Uh, Please. <laughs> you can get used to it. Don't worry. <laughs>